people of Earth. We have come to upgrade your cosmic consciousness. DNA activation ready. In three, two, one. Hi, welcome to Q&A on Breakthrough Leadership. I'm Craig Anderson. And I'm Lou Quinto. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about a study that uh, Lou and I took a look at uh, from Google called Project Oxygen. And Lou, what they were trying to do was identify what are the attributes of successful leaders in Google. And they put a lot of effort into this and kind of really distilled down into what are six attributes of the best leadership. And that's what they try and train. What, what they found as the six attributes. Yes, right. Yeah. But it's Google, so... Yeah. So at any rate, it's a fascinating study because on the one hand, the things that they identify, you look at them and say, well, of course, yeah, those are traits of effective managers and effective leaders. But if they have to train to those, you have to ask yourself, maybe these things are a lot more rare than we think. You know what I'm saying? Well, it's funny because when I read the article after you sent it to me, one of the things that I immediately thought is, Craig and I have been talking about this on our podcast for a while now. Are they just discovering these are attributes that leaders need? And so in this particular instance, it's going back to basics. It really is going back to basic since Google, it's got the Google name on it, Project Oxygen. Uh, Maybe it'll give it a lot of credibility and some companies that haven't been doing this will take notice. Yeah. Yeah. So what we'll do is we're, we're going to actually do a two double episode here because there's six attributes. So we had our first interview segment a while ago, <laughs> and now we're going to have our first two-parter episode. Uh, so things are getting pretty exciting here on Q&A on Breakthrough Leadership right now. So today, what we're going to talk about is the first three attributes. So we'll break it down into one, mindset and values, two, emotional intelligence, and three, the manager transition. So Lou, why don't you talk about mindset and values and our friend Carol Dweck? Yeah, Carol Dweck. She, she, she's the, she's the woman. She, she's it. It's funny because we had covered this in, a, in I think, two prior episodes where we talked about the fixed mindset and we also talked about the growth mindset. And Carol Dweck goes through this with her studies uh, about looking at how a growth mindset really allows people to advance and further themselves. And fixed mindset is the, well, that's the way we've always done it mindset. That's the way I like to refer to it. I don't know if Carol would agree with me on that. The growth mindset is Again, we're talking about Project Oxygen with Google, and this is a situation where these are attributes that they have discovered that leaders need to have to become better leaders within the organization. And every leader needs to have a growth mindset, not only personally, but they need to build it amongst their people also so that they can see that this is not a static situation we're in because business is, as we all know, business is not static. Things change, technology changes, marketing changes, sales changes, everything changes. And if the organization does not have a growth mindset, then you're going to get that pushback from individuals when it comes to change. And the best organizations are those organizations that keep up with change. And the only way to do that is by instilling a growth mindset in the organization. Absolutely. And I think the the other thing that they added in here is the idea of the values piece of it. 
and right. and optimism. And, and those are really important things that I think most leaders have to really grasp onto, especially when we're going through what we're going through right now, right? It's yeah. it's kind of goes back to some other things we've talked about is you've got to believe that you're going to succeed. You know, there's going to be some problems in the road going in on uh, some detours that you might hit, but you've got to have optimism that we're going to hit where we're trying to hit. And right. I think that was a key piece of the growth mindset too, is that you do have that optimistic focus. The other piece I thought was interesting was tying into values. So not necessarily Google's values and the way they looked at it in the study, but knowing your own values and knowing how you act out of those values when right. you're making decisions, when you're leading your team. So I thought those were really, you know, and when you add that into both the mindset piece and then tying in optimism and really taking the time to know what your values are so you can actually define and act on them, that those are all very, you know, if I may, intentional things you've gotta be pushing. And I'm I sure knew you were going to get intentional in there. <laughs> always working in. That's my 2020 word. Aside from, oh my God, what a nightmare. Uh, so the uh, yeah. So these are important things to actually bring train into your leadership and your potential leaders that are coming up in the organization. We've talked a lot about kind of the next generation of leaders with right. millennials coming up, and how do we instill these things into that group as well. Hey. And, and and to go with that, it, that goes back to the conversation that we had. Uh, I I know we've had it, but also when we interviewed Darren Martin, he, we talked about the extrinsic and the intrinsic motivation. And that growth right. mindset is more of an intrinsic as opposed to the extrinsic uh, motivation. So uh, being able to know that I'm growing within an organization, my leader is helping me train on different things, I'm getting new experiences, that's all part of that growth mindset, which talks about the optimism that you mentioned as well. In addition to that, it, letting people fail is also optimistic because people don't feel that they have to be perfect right out of the gate. And if you know that you have that opportunity to fail, that is mm -hmm. optimism. Even though it doesn't sound like failure and optimism should be used in the same sentence, it is because I know when I'm starting, I don't need to be perfect. And that's part of that, that optimism as well. Yeah. Absolutely. So the next thing they identified, number two attribute, was emotional intelligence. And I think we've probably talked around emotional intelligence. Yeah, we've I think never we, really talked into it. No, no, we, we, we haven't. And emotional intelligence, I think you and I talked earlier that it's one of those things I read about emotional intelligence almost a decade ago. And now all of a sudden it's in vogue. It's like someone, you know, went over to the went over to their bookshelf and took the book and went, and blew the dust off of it. And now emotional intelligence is, ooh, look at this stuff. This is good. Emotional intelligence is dealing with that emotional issue and to, to be able to recognize emotions within other individuals and within yourself. And I think you and I, Craig, have seen it and you've dealt with it with your clients and I've dealt with it with my clients over the last four or five months. And that is empathy. That is one of those issues in emotional intelligence that a lot of leaders up until March didn't practice a lot of. And if they did, it was selective empathy with people that were probably, you know, uh, uh, probably high earning or maybe they were high performing people. There was a little bit more of a connection and a bond. So I tended to be more empathetic during this time. All leaders have found that they have to share empathy amongst everybody. Yeah, I think. I believe many cases, it's what you say, because it's the bubble you have yourself in in the office, 
which not to not to pull out a really old management theory of management by walking around, which I used to have this boss walking through and meets your head bopping above the above the, the cube wall. You're like, oh my God, it's management by walking around. But it's it's not that, but it's it's being in touch with the people that are working in your organization. So you can really kind of slough off, you know, your OR call center people. But if you actually have relationships with your call center people and you understand what they're going through and what some of the challenges are, then, and you celebrate their successes with them too, then you have a real opportunity to kind of use that emotional intelligence across and through the organization to understand what it is that's going on. It's interesting to me though, that, you know, as you said, emotional intelligence has probably been around longer than even 10 years. I think that book, No one is training. I could only I could only afford to buy the book ten years ago. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I think it's more time compression, but sure, it's. uh, But it's interesting. None of these things are taught. You know, a lot of these things we're talking about here, they're they're not taught by business schools or anything. You know, there's no class on emotional intelligence in a Harvard MBA. I mean, apologize, a Harvard MBA. Maybe there is one. Not yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll start that let, program. You just let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> but yeah, and it, it's interesting that some of these softer skills are still not really taught as we're bringing people out of business school. And then you just have to hope, and hope is not a strategy, but you have to hope that they have a mentor early on who helps them see some of these things. See, and that's, I mean, I've been doing, I guess you would call them soft skills for 35 years doing training and public speaking and things like that. And soft skills sometimes gets put to the back burner in a lot of companies and technical skills get put to the front burner. Well, as you and I both know, you can have someone who's very proficient technically and everything, but if they can't communicate and have interpersonal relationships and make good decisions and solve problems effectively and they're good collaborators and they have good engagement, that knowledge that you've invested in that technical information is going to be just sitting in a corner somewhere because no one wants to go talk to it because it doesn't know how to interact with anybody. Right. All of the attributes in that we're going to talk about are soft skills. And I personally don't believe that companies spend enough time in the soft skill area. Right, right. Well, this lends itself to our next topic a little bit. We talked about, you know, mentoring and things like that is the manager transition. What are we doing as managers transition? And there's kind of two ways you come into a management role, right? You either come up through the department and you end up in a management role, which has its own issues when suddenly you're the boss of the people you used to hang out with. And then there's also the manager coming in from outside the organization or outside the department into a management role. And how you manage that transition is so crucial in setting up, making sure, you know, how do you, if you're coming up through the organization, what are you doing to kind of set people to both create that kind of distance now as the manager, but also retain kind of those relationships that are so important to you that you've developed over time? Because I always talk to leaders and they always shake their head in a sense that, you know, it becomes more lonely once you become a leader. You don't realize (laughs) there's that detachment from your people and the conversations you used to be in every day yeah, you're now out of because you're the, yeah. You you're now the you boss. walk in and everybody shuts up. Yeah, and, like, and <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and I think that even comes in when you're coming in from the side. You know, it's similar because now you know you have to build those relationships while you have that kind of distance that you have. So one of the things they talked about was the importance of vulnerability and honesty with peers about you know, the views and the challenges. So, you know, how do you talk to your folks about things like that? In that particular instance, if you're that transition to management, it's, you're absolutely right. You've got 
going coming from the outside and rising from the top. They all have their pluses and their minuses. And in any transition, one of the things that I always tell someone who's moving into a new management position is one, you need to maintain your relationships if, if you're moving up within the organization with the people that you had prior, knowing that those relationships will be different. And I think you mentioned, you know, they, they shared more information when you were on equal footing. And now when you're a higher level, they don't share that much information. So there's still the sharing of information, but it's, it's a little bit strange. The other thing too is in a management and a manager in transition needs to ask more questions because the manager is in this new position is in a totally new position that they haven't been in before. So just because Susan was a great salesperson and all of a sudden, well, we need a new sales manager. And so Susan gets pushed up there. Susan doesn't know how to manage a sales team. She knows how to sell, but she doesn't know how to manage a sales team. In that transition, that person needs to ask more questions. Their direct reports they need to ask questions of their new boss and their new boss really needs to take time to help them transition into the new place. So it's like when you move into a new position, you get a new mentor, you get a new coach. Then it's the person now that's above you who was different from the person that was above you prior to that. That's part of that transition period is giving yourself time to explore that area, to become comfortable with it. Because if not, we all get upset, we get nervous, we get anxious, and we gravitate toward the job that we used to be good at because that's where we saw success. Yeah, it's, you know, you always have that question when you're moving for a, for a leadership role. Well, what's your plan for the first 90 days? Because that's going to work, right? But it's a fun question to ask. And so many times people have this big exclusive plan, but if they don't have in that plan, at least for the first 30 days, I'm just going to shut up and listen. I would yeah. love to see that in somebody's th day one through 30, shut up and listen. Up and listen. <laughs> Never seen it in my career, but it would be a great thing to see because that's really what the first 30 days are. Because I've had, I've made the mistake of going in saying, well, I already know what all the problems are right? and I'll deal with it. And you end up setting yourself back. If you don't write outright fail, you end up setting back the ability to make changes by months if you don't dig in and start working on those up front. So right. good. Yep, absolutely. Well, what are your big takeaways today, Lou? Well, in our first part here uh, of Project Oxygen and talking about leadership attributes, one of the things, my big takeaway is companies really need to spend more time on soft skills. Soft right. skills for all of their people, particularly the more soft skills individuals have, when they get put into that new leadership position, they become better managers and they have the ability to, to, to lead, not manage because we manage things, but lead people because mm -hmm. of interpersonal relationships, because of problem solving, decision making, conflict management, all of those things that, again, are mostly check boxes when it comes to training in an organization. But I think in this project oxygen that Google has pointed out, a lot of things we think you and I as executive coaches think are obvious. They're not obvious. No. And, and yeah, my takeaways really are around when we're looking at the op, the people we identify as high potential in the organization and move up into those roles, there's an obligation for us as leaders to start helping them to see some of these things where, you know, if they're, 
Is it emotional intelligence they have to work on? Or is it their mindset? Or is it, you know, how they're planning to manage their transition? These are things I think we have to spend time coaching if we're in the organization, coaching those employees that we think are going to be high potential into those roles. And, you know, that's where, like you said, even when I'm doing coaching, that's usually what it is, is we've got this manager, they're like 75% awesome and 25% need, need some improvement. Can you help them work on these three things? Or even if they've, I actually love the clients who identify themselves, I need to work on my emotional intelligence. Right. And, you know, that's where I think you can start to make meaningful change is when you can really identify where those shortcomings are and help them help coach them up on that part so they can really become the person that they want to be. Right. Lou, why don't you go ahead and close us out? Sure, Craig. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Attributes to Become an Effective Leader in an Organization on Q&A on Breakthrough Leadership. If you like today's video, please go ahead and click the like button. Share it with people in your organization or with associates with whom you work. And also please subscribe so that this way every Thursday you get a notice when we've posted a new episode. In addition to that, if you don't like to look at Craig and I in a video format, you can also download Q&A on Breakthrough Leadership on your favorite podcast platform. So until next time, keep your hands washed and keep your distance. I'm Lou Quinto. And I'm Craig Anderson. 